Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Let's go places. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, oh man. Welcome back to Behind the Bastards, the podcast that's just as refreshing as, as pounding a grape Zevia. Um, mm, that's good Zevia. Jeff May, guest, hey. friend, podcaster, co host of Tom and Jeff Watch Batman. Jeff has cool friends um, and, and, and stand up comedian. Jeff. This is part three of our series on on Tsar Nicholas II. How are you holding up? Great, I'm I'm feeling good. Uh, I'm ready to talk, yeah. man. This guy, this this fucking guy, you know, <laughs> this fucking rube, this fucking guy. I do love that. Like that's the like before this. I, I think that like talking about Philippe, who is his, you know, as we talked about last time, his his first mystic con man who got into the family, and then Rasputin. There's like this media image of Rasputin as this like supernaturally charming like incredible uh uh mysterious sort of like um figure who's just like inhumanly charismatic and like no the truth is that like literally any con man could have won one over on these people they were really stupid it's so much that people it's almost like it's like there there's a punch card for what con man is going to be in charge at the time it's like the morning ralph morning sam situation yeah yeah, it's it's just so funny. Um, and yeah, this is this is it's important to note that that like that's kind of what you get with monarchy, right? Like that's the situation where if your thing is in ultimate power is invested in a dude, like a decent number of those dudes are going to be the kind of people who would respond to a Nigerian prince email scam. 
like yeah like i don't know if you like i think we all have dumb relatives mm-hmm. so the idea that that like inherited divinity in any way or, or inherited power or intellect or what that's just the dumbest like thing. If, if if fucking nicholas ii had been alive and the czar of all russia's today all of russia would be owned by a macedonian 17 year old who had like managed to fish his email or something yeah it, it would be exxon <laughs> yeah it would be like exxon would own uh russia if that were the case yeah, yeah. it would be someone would have gotten to him like i can just imagine l ron hubbard sliding into the czar's court and just con- complete control in like seven hours yeah it would have been carved up like like 19th century africa yeah. it would have just been like just absolutely colonized mm-hmm. and 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 colonized with like Nikki still on the throne smiling all day about like oh my friends from ExxonMobil are here look at the, the my magic friends <laughs> from ExxonMobil <laughs> they can they can pull their fingers off <laughs> you see yeah, look at that they are doing magic <laughs> look at that he pulls quarters from behind my ear it's crazy uh, so as we start this episode the situation with Japan is continuing to spiral out of control in 1902 Japan had signed a defensive pact with Great Britain um, and Nikki's English cousins had forced him to withdraw from Manchuria. Now, obviously, he was not going to do this, um, but his ministers got him to at least agree for it, uh, to agree with it for a while. Um, and, you know, they keep trying to talk him out of this, saying like, hey, like taking over Tibet, maybe not a great idea, probably not going to work all that well. Um, but Nicholas doesn't really spend a lot of time around his advisors. He prefers the company of Bezobrazov uh, and his cousin, the Kaiser, who, as we talked about last time, I think, um, had started calling himself Admiral of the Atlantic and calling Nikki Admiral of the Pacific, right? Man, yeah, that's like giving yourself your own nickname when you go to college. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 so sad. Like, cause the and it's sad because the Kaiser gives them both this nickname, and Nikki makes fun of the Kaiser, and then Nikki starts using the nickname completely unironically. Um, he's like, "Well, you know, it is a cool nickname. I'm not going to." <laughs> yeah, well, he's good at nicknames. <laughs> yeah, yeah. he may be doofus, mm-hmm. but uh, I got to say, mm-hmm. this nickname it fucks. Look at this idiot coming up with nicknames. I'm going to steal though. <laughs> Absolutely mine. Is my nickname now? So, um, one of his ministers, like, because this is this is like a, a source of incredible frustration for these these educated and like august ministers and nobles and whatnot who are trying to like run the empire around him. That he's listening. It's kind of he's a, given this con man. Theme. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a theme. It's just all these like well-read intellectuals with experience in, in geopolitical theory are just like, what the fuck are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah. And one of his ministers, a guy named Pleve, who was again a, a raging anti-Semite, um, but a much smarter person than the Czar, explains the Czar's way of thinking here um, in a manner that I, I, I think is really relevant today. The distrust of ministers is common to all sovereigns, starting with Alexander I. Autocrats listen to their ministers, outwardly agree with them, but always turn to outsiders who appeal to their hearts and inspire suspicion of their ministers, accusing them of encroaching on autocratic law. And like, we've seen that, right? Like, we've all been through that here, right? How could you question yeah. me? My cool friends don't actually question me. They think I'm cool. Yeah, I, I brought my like wife's boyfriend in and he said we should try this or like, you know, there's this guy, this lawyer that I was friends with when I was younger. Like, let's have him make our policy here. Like we all lived through a version of this with Trump. And it's just like to the nth degree with Nikki because there's absolutely no checks on his behavior. Um, so they, they kind of settle into this pattern for a while. Russia for the, like, the next year and a half or so where Bezo Brazov will like escalate in some 
some wild way, he'll provoke the Japanese or he'll make a move on on, on Chinese occupied territory. Um, and there will be like some big war panic and Nikki will back off at the last moment and like pull his troops back because he doesn't really want a war. Like he talks this big game about like wanting to show Japan what for. But he's also like there's a part of him that's reasonable enough to know that like, well, if you are the absolute sovereign and you lose a war, that doesn't that that can be bad. You know, it, it, it sure asked Japan in 1945. Yeah, exactly. Uh, ask Japan a minute after this. <laughs> it's, it's it's funny, too, because the, we all know this guy, mm-hmm. the guy that's like talking shit at the bar. Yeah. And then as soon as somebody's like, all right, well, let's go. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, ah, nah, it's yeah and and fucking nikki is that guy because he doesn't really want to fight bezo brazov is the guy who like does that and also like he'll throw down he's not good at it like he can't throw a punch to save his life he's way too drunk to be starting shit but he will throw that punch if you know gonna be starting his buddy will back him up um so nikki like for a little while like they his ministers are able to like get him to pull back get him to pull back um and then he'll poke at them or bezo brazov will poke at him again and you know this kind of happens a couple of times um and after a while the japanese get really tired of this and they give they they present the czar with an incredible offer like this is actually really quite and again i say generous they're offering someone else's land but like they're like hey czar I don't want to deal with this like constant like dick measuring game that you're in. How about you get all of Manchuria? That's yours. Russia gets all of Manchuria. We get Korea. How about that? Which I'm the czar. I don't have to fight a war. Really? I could just take this huge, this just chunk of land longer than in, larger, I think, than any country in Western Europe that I get to just add to Russia for free. Seems like a great deal for me, the czar, right? <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> Nikki says no. Uh, Nikki's like, well, yeah, sure, that would wipe out the stain of defeat in Crimea and make me maybe the greatest expansionist czar of the last century. Probably would have distracted from all my domestic failures. But that means I don't get Korea too when I really want Korea. Because I can't well, get to bed if I don't get Korea. Korea. <laughs> yeah, he wants to collect them all. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he wants Pokemon. He's like those cops who got fired for trying to get that Pokemon. <laughs> you know, who among us <laughs> yeah. hasn't ignored our civic duty in order to collect the Snorlax? Yeah, I mean, it's we, we all have that friend who, like, wasn't able to make rent one month because he bought too many fucking, um, what are those, what are those nerd bobblehead type things called? Funko, Funko Pops. Because he bought too many I, Funko I, are Pops. Are you just looking behind yes. me and looking <laughs> yeah. for something to make fun of? I mean, it's fine when it's a Funko Pop, but because he's the czar of all Russias, his Funko Pops are, like entire nations of millions of people in in yeah. in Asia. sovereign areas yeah. Yeah. So it's it's like entire ethnic groups that that he wants to collect and put in his little russia box and probably racially discriminate against um 100% because he is the guy that he is so he he says no to japan's again very generous offer with other people's territory um and then he doesn't leave manchuria but so he doesn't agree to this and he also stays in manchuria which is kind of saying to japan we're gonna try to invade korea like we're gonna we're gonna take korea from you right like that's what you're saying if you're like no i don't want you to give me manchuria but i'm not gonna leave you're saying well i'm gonna i'm gonna fuck with your shit some more right that that's exactly what he's saying that's as good as an act of war really if you if you're not unreasonable and japan takes it this way um 
Simon Montfiore writes, quote, Bezobrazov had taught the emperor that treaties could be broken, and Nicholas was convinced that Russia could defeat those macaques, he's, he's calling them monkeys, because Japan was a barbarian country. And Kuropotkin told Nicholas that the Japanese army, who's one of his military advisors, that the Japanese army was a colossal joke, but he did not want a war. The emperor blithely ordered the viceroy, I don't want war between Russia and Japan and will not permit this war. Take all measures so that there is no war. Japan made further offers to Russia for a compromise, but wondered if the inconsistent czar was capable of negotiating a treaty, yet alone honoring it. So he gets every chance in the world to make this work, right? I think it's interesting to note that we are actually looking at two nations that have just really honestly westernized their militaries. Uh, or, or, and when I say westernized, I mean modernized. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me rephrase it. Because, you know, Japan obviously had to make a big leap forward during the mid to late uh, 19th century as well. Um, And we know, we talked about uh, in previous episodes, what Russia had to do. Yeah, Russia has just gotten their military to be kind of in, not really in line, as we'll talk about when World War I hits, but they're closer to in line with like Germany and France and... So it's almost like they both got new toys. That is a factor. And they're like, you know what? Yeah. And that's that's a big thing. You know, Japan has just modernized and and gotten their military kind of really rolling along at the same point that China is falling apart, which provides this opportunity for Japan to take a whole bunch of China and get a bunch of shit that being from an island they maybe didn't have access to before. Russia, it's a little bit like with the Japanese government, this is much more of like a kind of grim realpolitik, like we need to take as much as we can. Um, there's this awareness that like the colonial powers, like they will do that to us, what they're doing to Africa, what they're doing to other parts of Asia. If we don't assert ourselves and get powerful and the best way to do this, to take enough land that we can, can continue to build up our military and not be able to be fucked with by them. Right. There's a lot of, uh, it, it's a lot harsher of an understanding with Russia. It, Nikki's this mix of like, he's got these new toys he does want to play with. And his, he, he has people talking to him about how easy it'll be to beat Japan and an easy victory. will deal with all these domestic troubles, but he's also, he's like reasonable enough to know that he, Probably it would actually be a bad idea to go to war. And he has a lot of ministers, like in t- including like Wit and the other kind of the intelligent ministers he has saying like, dude, you're hanging on by a thread right now. Like people are not happy. This is th- there's there's riots and shit all over the country. Um, we What we don't want now is a war because it's probably not going to go great. And so there's this push and pull for a while. And for a while, Nikki's kind of in the middle of those sides. Um, but he eventually kind of sides with the folks who start telling him. And, and, and this includes Pleve, his anti-Semite minister buddy, that a small victorious war might distract everybody. Right. So he eventually lines up on. I just love that. I just love the phrase anti-Semite minister. Buddy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's <clears throat> he's got the minister buddies who are racist and the ones who are racist, but not in terms of their policy. Because every they're yeah, all racist. Fair. Yeah. Like the best guy in this story thus far is his attitude is like, well, if you can't drown all the Jews, I guess they should have civil rights. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Real subversive statement, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Now, on New Year's Day, 1904, the emperor of all the Russias decides to make an ultimatum to Japan. He tells the Japanese ambassador, Russia was not just a country, but a part of the world. In order to avoid a war, it was better not to try her patience or it could end badly. On the 24th of January, Japan breaks off diplomatic relations. So after like this back and forth, he issues basically like, 
shut the fuck up. Let me do whatever it is I'm going to do. And if you talk to me again, like I'm, I might throw hands. That that's kind of what he don't says. Don't even. Yeah. Don't even fucking talk to yeah. me. Yeah. Don't even talk to me. <laughs> don't even fucking talk to me. I swear to God, if you fucking talk to me once, it's over. And to continue our bar analysis, drunken Nicholas slurs that out to the Japanese, turns around to grab another drink from the bar, and while his back is turned, they hit him in the back of the head with a bottle of Schlitz. Like, <laughs> we've all been there. Or whatever. <laughs> um, they fuck him up. Um, the next day, while the Tsar is out watching a, a, at the theater watching a play, the Japanese fleet attacks Port Arthur, which, you know, Russia had taken a little bit earlier, and they do serious damage, like uh, wipe out a significant chunk of his Asian fleet. I would add second worst thing to happen in a theater to a ruler of state. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, there was a great, this Halloween, I think I haven't said this on the show, this Halloween, we were out taking some friends, kids of mine, trick-or-treating, and as we were like walking back to the car, there was just this dude dressed up as a dead Lincoln sitting in a chair in front of his house with a bucket of candy, like up stock straight, looked like a statue almost. And one of my friends asked him, hey, how was the play? And he, without missing a beat, responded, I left early. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. Like, he probably had like a, a list he of shit waiting. he was ready yeah. to say. Yeah. <laughs> new, new Dead Lincoln mm -hmm. features eight realistic <laughs> word sounds. So the Russo-Japanese war kicks off from this, right? Japan attacks at Port Arthur. The Russians are, are very angry and they start fighting. There's this whole big series of battles. You know, it's a war. War stuff occurs. Um... And on the Go ground, on. there's this, you know, land warfare that's largely happening in, in Manchuria between like these couple hundred thousand troops that Russia has there and the Japanese expeditionary force. And the Russians do OK here. They lose basically every big battle. But Japan often loses more men in the battle. So like they're kind of it's like Pyrrhic victories for the Japanese where they're like, well, yeah, we keep winning these battles. But fuck, there's a lot of Russians. And like, we can't keep this up for a while. <laughs> I, that is the story of yeah, history. They, they, the, Fuck, there's a lot of yeah, Russia. Japan has the same experience everyone else does fighting Russia, which is, yeah. Jesus Christ, there's no end to these people. <laughs> I mean, think about the land differences. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, oh, so we're like, what, like a 30th of yeah, them? Yeah, we're like the, the, like the Moscow be... suburbs are our entire island, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. There's so many they of just these people. The, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I think we need the entire island of Hokkaido yeah. <laughs> just to do anything to these yeah. people. Um, and so this, this, you know, on land, the Russians kind of duke it out with the Japanese until the Japanese are, you know, after repeatedly winning, kind of on the verge of collapse by some sources. So it's going okay on the land. It's not going great, obviously, because it never does go great for Russia either. But like... It's a, they win a war of It's a vaguely sustainable like, situation. It's not in the Navy. So Japan starts the war by wiping out one of three Russian fleets, the Pacific fleet. And, you know, Nikki has a choice here. One of them would be like, well, I could kind of potentially give up Port Arthur or at least give up relieving it from the sea. I could not try to fuck with the in the ocean anymore because I don't need to. I'm directly connected by land to the battle space. You know, I can just throw a shitlord more dudes into Manchuria and probably eke out if not like a win you know a negotiated settlement that gives me what i could have gotten without fighting a war anyway but like looks good on paper you know he has kind of that option but he's you know russia's pride is its navy it, and it, it's not russia's pride it's it's the czar's pride and it's this way with all of these guys in this same period kaiser wilhelm is like helping to make world war one be a thing by repeatedly 
like tweaking the British by building up the German fleet, because that's the thing the British don't want to see is Germany have a fleet that can rival the British fleet because Germany already has an army that Britain can't handle. Um, but this, the yeah, Britain doesn't like when anybody has. They a They don't navy. like when anybody has a navy. No, they sure don't. I don't believe I, I enjoy yeah. that. that you're doing I feel right like we're there. the only ones with boats. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is there a reason you're doing that? <laughs> so the Kaiser, and it's like it, it's this whole thing of like it's like a it's it's like Warhammer for the Kaiser. Like he gets to he gets to get these little boats these these boats that he gets to have a say in designing and like look at all the big guns and he gets to move them around on a map and f- sail around in his yacht and look at the boats that he owns and. Um, I mean, that sounds it awesome. does sound dope, right? It sounds pretty sick. And it's like that with the Kaiser, too. And and Russia, you know, has a has a, a, a traditionally pretty powerful navy. Their best fleet is their Baltic fleet, though. Right. Because that's like that's home shores. Right. That's what's going to be fucking with Turkey. Russia's big enemy for forever is Turkey. Um, so they've got they lose their Pacific fleet to the Japanese with like out really getting to fire much of a shot. Um, so Nikki gets obsessed with the idea of getting revenge and with the idea of proving himself himself to be the admiral of the pacific you can't be the admiral of the pacific if your fleet gets sunk and you don't do anything about it so he takes this massive baltic fleet the pride of the russian navy and the linchpin of their territorial power and he sends the whole thing to fight the japanese fleet um which takes like a year like it's not easy to get from the baltic to the coast of china in this period yeah yeah they're not flying over no and they can't really they're not good at, at boating at this point you know they're they're steaming slowly ahead there um well they had a rough go yeah, yeah recently it, it, it's exhausting they accidentally murder some fishermen on the way that belong to some european country or another um yeah they get panicked and they think that it's a japanese uh, uh torpedo boat or whatever um i mean that's yeah really funny it is though. really funny we all, we all agree that it's while those deaths are tragic the historical context of the humor in that is is it, it, it is pretty funny to be like a dude on a fishing boat and get get murked by the entire russian baltic fleet um yeah you're just like i'm out to catch uh you know mackerel yeah and, and uh, it's Next. worth noting the russian baltic fleet will perform a lot better against these unarmed fishermen than they do against the japanese navy <laughs> Standard, yeah. <laughs> a standard move for them. So while they're motoring their way slowly to Asia, um, and Russia is kind of having this very mixed, ugly ground war uh, in Manchuria, um, and you know the fact that there's a war, there start being more protests, there start being more riots, there start being more strikes among the workers. While all this is going on, the Tsar's son Alexei is born. Um, this is a cause for a lot of finally some good finally news. Finally, some good news. I've got got a handle on it now. Now I have a boy. <laughs> this couldn't go anywhere but up. As the empire is crumbling and tens of thousands of men are dying, he's like, good news, everybody. We're going to be able to keep this thing going for another generation. Yeah. Good news, everyone. Yeah. One more Romanov for you all to deal with. So there's this big celebration, right? Huge state celebration because now there's an heir to the throne. Um, but then shortly thereafter, the Tsar and his wife realize their boy has hemophilia. His like, you know, the belly button thing when the, the thing falls out of it after you pull the baby out. Um, that The umbilical cord? Yeah, the umbilical cord. His When they cut it, it doesn't stop bleeding, right? Because he's hemophiliac. You know, that's, that's the whole thing. Um, you bleed more than is ideal. Um, and so there's this suddenly realization that like, 
the the czar's heir basically has a death sentence because like in this period of time i think there's a bunch of things you can do they really don't have medicine back then no it's, why would you have medicine yeah yeah <laughs> you have you have opium and you have spiritualists um i mean you have con men yeah you have con men and you have doctors who are like three percent better than con men um but there's nothing really to do about this and pretty much everyone but the czar and czarina except like oh shit well he's not gonna make it to 20 like this kid's not gonna last long um yeah this kid's fu- yeah this kid's fucked they cannot take that because at this point she's kind of worn out she's had five kids they're not easy pregnancies for her she's not as young anymore um and she's like i can't have another child and um because he does love his wife the czar is not going to force her you know i think a lot of monarchs would have been like the fuck you say like you're we're gonna roll these dice again i don't care yeah. what happens yeah um, i'm sorry what was yeah. that i like how you're like by the way it's like it wasn't an easy pregnancy i'm like yeah i think that's just because it was in 1904 <laughs> it was in 1904 <laughs> like, um 1905. Yeah. Um, and this, you know, so this is like horribly devastating for the Romanov family because it, it kind of means like we're going to have to hand over ruling to like one of our cousins or something like this isn't going to keep going. And, and that means that's to the czar, even though there's like protests and uprisings and a oh, an increasingly disastrous war. That's what makes Nikki feel like a failure. Well, yeah. yeah. Because it's a boy. Because it's a boy, but it's not. It's <laughs> I don't not see how right. We're this, the boy ain't right. Boy. You know, it, it's a boy who's not going to live long enough to continue making bad decisions that affect the lives of millions. Daddy. Daddy. Anyway, um, Nicholas uh, is while he's trying to deal with this and dealing with the fact that his wife is increasingly having breakdowns over the fact that her son is kind of constantly on the edge of death, which understandable reason to have a breakdown. Um, Russia is kind of breaking down because the war is going poorly. People are protesting, yada, yada, yada. Nicholas reshuffles his generals and his ministers, basically does this thing of like, well, it has to be someone else's fault that none of this is going well. So I'm just going to kind of randomly fire and replace people until things start to work better um the problem can't be with me uh yeah how could it be yeah (laughs) you're so adept nick so one of the guys he brings on is this new minister mursky who points out like hey there's this campaign among liberals to create like a congress basically a constitutional representation for the people you know which folks have been lobbying for for a while his grandpa was about to put one through and mursky's like hey this is really popular and because it's really popular if you do it a lot of the people who are protesting and striking right now might stop and like you can focus on the other million problems you've created um and maybe if you don't do this there's going to be a revolution and the emperor nicholas ii does not take this very well his response is quote you know i don't hold autocracy for my own pleasure i act in this sense only because it's necessary for russia i'll never agree to a representative form of government because i consider it harmful to the people whom god has entrusted to me so Uh hearing this minsky's response is everything has failed let us build jails (laughs) of course yeah we're gonna have to throw a lot of people in prison or they're gonna murder us so minsky at least seems to have the lay of the land reasonably well on sunday january 9th 1905 as the russian army launches a huge offensive in manchuria a protest march of thousands of workers swarms towards the palace where nicholas and his family live troops at the palace open fire and charge the protesters on horseback and they kill more than a thousand people 
This is not like a Kent State sort of deal where like a couple of guys yeah, panic and there's, you know, a handful of people die and like everybody like stares in shock. This is like ranks of men firing in mass into a crowd and then running them down on horseback with sabers. Classic. Not to whitewash Kent State, but this is like 300 or so of them in, at the same time. <laughs> um, oh, I mean, I'm from Boston where we had a bombing where like three people died and we're like, this is the worst thing that has ever yeah. happened. So I, I understand. Shit in Russia happens on a different scale. And on this day, when his troops kill a thousand civilians in order to defend his regime from protest, Nicholas writes this in his diary. A terrible day. Lord, how painful and sad. Mama arrived from town, lunched with everyone, went for a walk with Misha. Mama stayed the night. <laughs> big, big, big deal for you, Nick. Big, big day. day for you, huh? Thousand people died. Mama came. What a day. I think mostly the Mama thing. A lot on your mostly plate. That. Maybe, yeah, that's the main thing. Yeah. Um, it's very funny how like completely sociopathic these people are to like the suffering and death of their subjects on, on a staggering scale. But you know who but loves you to do care? their subjects and doesn't ignore their horrible demises? I'm, I'm going to guess it's your sponsors. That's right. That's right. When you die, our sponsors, every one of them, genuinely sad. And they'll write about it in their diaries. And they've predicted those deaths. Mm -hmm. They have. They know exactly when you're going to die. So maybe, you know, on this ad, they'll tell you the exact moment that you'll expire. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if people have learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. You think... What's the catch? But there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone and bring your own phone number along with your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. 
But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Oh, eerily prescient. Mm-hmm. Eerily. Um, so, Jeff, we're 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 in a we're in a dicey time for for the Romanov dynasty as this is happening um, or not that long after this is happening and like, uh, well, a couple of months. So May of that year, May 14th, the Baltic fleet reaches uh, the war zone, right? Um, reaches Southeast Asia broadly, right? You know, it's a big area. They're kind of trying to get to uh, to Port Arthur um, and they're steaming around all these little, you know, hugging the coast. And while yeah. they're sort of getting into the battle space, the Japanese admiral, a guy named Togo, um, spots them ahead of time and is smarter than anybody who has ever worked for the czar. Um, Togo's very good at what he does. He actually believes he's the reincarnation of Horatio uh, Nelson, um, the British admiral who won at, uh, whatever, that fucking famous sea battle. Um, he's a bit of a loon, but he's really good at running a navy. And he spots the, the, the Russian navy, and he sets his troops up in an ambush. And one night... The, the supposedly the reason this all happens is that like a some dude on a um, a medical ship in the Russian fleet forgets to close a window, and it allows the Japanese fleet to spot them in a flow at night. Um, and the Japanese fleet ambushes the pride of the Russian navy and wipes them out. Thirty ships sunk to the bottom of the sea in like a day and a half or so, including the flagship of the Russian navy. And they don't really lose anybody. It's like a th- more than a thousand Russian sailors dead and like a hundred Japanese sailors dead or something like that. It's like it is it is a tr- it is a terrible disaster. <laughs> it goes as bad. Oh, that's Japan's music. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is, it goes as badly as it possibly could have done. Um, somebody call the match. Yeah. Yeah. They are. This is, this is really like, um, I don't know. What's a, who's a boxer who killed somebody? Uh, Emil Griffith. Yeah, this is an Emil Griffith situation. That's Togo. Um, he's, he's just, he's just permanently knocked the Baltic fleet unconscious. Um, and they are never getting yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I, I have that equation of like that, that like stone cold steve austin coming in ravaging him and just leaving while he's laying on the ground yeah that's kind of what the japanese fleet does so this number one leads very quickly to the russians capitulating you know they lose the russo-japanese war um and this is kind of the thing they have now lost two-thirds of their entire navy effectively (laughs) yeah daddy daddy my toys Daddy, I've lost my boats. <laughs> and they can't, like, it's one of those things, not only is this just the disaster like it would be for any country, but this is also, like, the first time that a major European power has lost a war, a modern war, to people who are not white. Um, and th- that is, like, that f- people start flipping out all over the damn world about this shit. Um Man, ra- racism will get yeah. you. <laughs> and this really pisses off everyone in Russia's piss. The right wing is pissed because it's like, 
us. We're the ones who lose a war to the Japanese. Um, and the people who aren't right wing are, are pissed because like, how many of our guys did you get killed for no reason? <laughs> like, I like the two different reasons are like, we lost to them. Yeah. And the other, and the other side is like, wait, we did yeah, what? My now? brother's dead. <laughs> So more protests while Russia, uh, the battleship Potemkin mutinies in Odessa, which is uh, a fa- goes on to be a pretty famous moment. Um, and Nicholas II, while all this is going on, while the Potemkins mutinying, while large chunks of Russia are no longer under the control of the Russian state, like that's the extent to which the government loses control. Nikki accepts an invitation from his cousin, the Kaiser, to go hang out on their yachts together. Classic. So like the Baltic and Caucasus have, have overthrown the government and like murdered local officials and our independent principal or independent republics right now and nikki's like I'm, i need to get away from it all i'm going to sail on a boat with my cousin he's like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna jet you guys you got this yeah this seems fine uh, right yeah uh, you got this i mean to be uh, honest you got- if i was one of his his ministers like yeah get the get him the fuck out of here <laughs> no i think it's that this is the right move for everyone yeah. is to have him be like i'm gonna i'm gonna get the I'm going to get the fuck out yeah, of here. You, why don't you take an extra couple of months, you know, just really clear your head. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you go hang out with that dipshit cousin? Of yours? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm going to quote now from the Oxford University Press. In 1905, there were 3,228 agrarian disorders that caused 28,872,759 rubles worth of damage. Roberta Manning, in her study of the 1905 revolution, stated, Under these conditions of near total breakdown in government authority and paralysis of the governing elite, which temporarily lost faith in its ability to administer the nation, rural Russia rose up to join its urban partners in the greatest, most destructive series of agrarian uprisings since the Pugachev Rebellion of the 18th century. So by the end of 1905, there are 13,995 recorded strikes. Uh, there are riots. There are there are like thousands of assassinations over this period of time. Like they are massacring government officials uh, by by the fucking football team's worth. Um, that seems egregious, right? I mean, that seems yeah. Like I get I get it, but also at the same time, it's like I feel like a couple of guys got a lot caught up. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty bad. Like it's really ugly, and and it's ugly in part yeah. because like. Not to take anything from like the the ministers or from the terrorists who are in some of these are acts of where like just a guy will shoot this dude who is like a police commissioner who is like specifically like you did this crackdown. I'm going to fucking kill you. Some of them are like, we're going to set off 80 pounds of TNT in a crowded neighborhood to like take this guy out, you know, um, riot it's, it, fever, baby. Catch yeah, it. It's a lot of it is really ugly. And part of why it's really ugly is the czar kind of established back. I mean, his he was his dad established back in the 80s. 1960s when their grandpa was assassinated that like well whenever there's unrest we kill people in huge numbers and that's how we deal with unrest is mass murder and the the czar has a thousand people killed you know at the at the gates of his palace like that is the way the russian state handles unrest so when people rise up against the russian state where are the stakes this is how you fight. You fight by killing huge numbers of people. I learned from watching you dad, you know? Like that's it's pretty it's a pretty base answer too. Yeah. This is like, I mean, that's like the number one thing you go to. I yeah, guess. this is what I guess this is how this works. 
Um, so yeah, and the government's the first thing they always have to like throw out, obviously, like every other government when there's, you know, any kind of popular unrest and pogroms are happening in this period. It's a very messy time. Yeah, I mean, so you've got obviously, and, and some of those pogroms are like these, these right wing groups, um, the, the, the black hundreds, which are like czarists. We'll talk about them in a little bit. Some of them are happy are, some of them are being done by like left wing groups. I think most of it is from the right. Most of these pogroms, a lot of it though, I probably the bulk of it isn't isn't specifically it's just like it's reactions to the things that the that the left are doing so you'll have like a strike or an uprising in odessa or you'll have a terrorist attack that kills this minister and then people will blame it on the jews and there will be a pogrom and you know like that's that's kind of the way this whole thing goes it's a very messy period of time um russia does not have cops really like they have police and they they try to tamp down on unrest um but they don't there's not there's like one of them for every several thousand people so whenever they really need to crack heads it's the army um but the army's mutinying all over because they've just lost this war just like the navy um so the only thing you can really get the army to crack down on is the bolsheviks right so when you have these left-wing uprisings the czar can generally get military units and to fight them but when you have these pogroms that are responses to these uprisings in some cases, you can't convince the army's not going to go crack down on them because the army's like, well, we're pretty racist too. And the cops are yeah. like actively participating in the pogrom, so they're not going to yeah, do anything. They're like, no, that part's cool. Yeah. So Nicholas also comes to see that, like, well, maybe these pogroms are a good thing because all of the people doing the revolutions are Jews, which is not true. Um, but they are there. A, a number of them are Jewish people because Jewish people Wait, are particularly oppressed by the czar. Yeah. Is someone lying about Jews so yes. they can do violence towards yeah. them? That's there's this thing later in life when he gets overthrown, he spends a here. lot of time listing out all of the revolutionaries and like their secret Jewish roots. Um, which he's wrong about. A lot of them were not Jewish, that he just like found ways to believe they were Jewish because he, he comes to believe that like all resistance to his regime is rooted in the Jews. Um, he writes this in a letter to his mom, quote, nine tenths of the troublemakers are Jews. The people's whole anger turned against them. That is how the pogroms happened. It is amazing how they took place in the towns of Russia and Siberia. Now, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not the Tsar deliberately incited and organized pogroms as a way to regain control and perhaps distract people from attacking the state. Whether or not he had any sort of plan, the violence often worked out exactly as one assumes he would have wanted. And I'm going to quote now from an academic study in Monde Russe. After the astounding news of the October Manifesto, demonstrations and meetings with red flags began to occur. Now and then they were accompanied by excesses insulting to the Tsarist throne. This is like the start of the the left-wing revolution against the Tsar. Portraits of Nicholas II, so revered by monarchists, were taken down by walls and sometimes from walls and sometimes destroyed. At meetings, money was collected for Nicholas's burial. On Kiev, on the balcony of the city Duma building, one of those in a meeting cut a hole in a Tsarist portrait and, sticking his own head through the hole, replacing the Tsar's face, shouted... Now I am the sovereign. You have to imagine that guy was pretty, pretty drunk. I got to be honest, man. That sounds like that. That's a good timing son of a bitch. That right does there. sound fun. This is the good timing son of a bitch part. It takes a turn here. Um, yeah. The, the admirers of autocracy, old customs and order regarded such events as an outrage, a triumph of Jews and sadistic and seditious intelligentsia and came out with a furious protest. Real cases of offenses to monarchist symbols similar to that described above were not ubiquitous. Sometimes they were exaggerated or just invented from nothing by pre pre-pogrom rumors, often with preposterous accusations of outrages against orthodox shrines or czarist portraits. For example, right before a pogrom in Kiev, rumors circulated about an attack by... 
slur against Jewish people, uh, to a monastery. Black hundreds organized belligerent counter demonstrations, sometimes under pretext of celebrating the ninth anniversary of the ascension of Nicholas II to the throne, which clashed with left-wing meetings, and fights turned into pogroms. Depending on the possibility or desire of local authorities to restore order, these could continue for days. Almost inevitably, the Tsar's portrait was present at these disgraceful events. Black hundred demonstrations were often were very often physically organized around the emperor's portrait. It played an important symbolic role, highlighting the assembled crowd's loyalty to the throne, and as if it had provided Tsarist sanction to the pogrom. Among pogromists, rumors spread wildly that Nicholas II permitted them to wreck and smash and beat the seditious anti-monarchy rebels. In Tomsk, the following ritual was observed. A crowd would come up to a store, and the one walking up front would turn to the portrait of Nicholas and ask, Your Majesty, do you allow us to destroy this store? The one carrying the portrait would answer, I permit it. Mm, so it's... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say that that's not on the level. I mean... Officially state sanctioned. It is and it isn't, because the, the state's not sending in troops to stop this. And later on, in the wake of this, Nicholas pardons a lot of the pogromists. Um... And as he just wrote to his mom, like he sees most of the revolutionaries as Jewish. He sees the people's anger against Jewish folks. He sees these pogroms as like an expression of honest and fair anger. So while he's not, he is not saying go out and destroy Jewish businesses. But when these crowds take his portrait and use it to like justify their destruction of Jewish businesses, they're not making that up out of whole cloth, you know? Fair. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and uh, it it it's 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 pretty ugly. There is one cool moment in some of this stuff where there, so the, one of the things that'll happen is these processions, these black hundreds marching with portraits of the czar, will like walk around and they'll demand people on the street um, remove their caps and like bow to the czar. And if you don't do this, uh, you'll get the shit beaten out of you, right? Like it's it's kind of like this gang being like, hey, you gotta like the guy in our picture, or we're gonna kick the fuck out of you. You know, sometimes they murder people. And there's yeah we've had the, we've had that in America pretty pretty recently. recently and we will again. There's a beautiful moment. There's this Bolshevik uh, V. E. Morozov who encounters one of these processions and they're like, hey, you got to take your hat off and you got to declare loyalty to this picture of the czar. Um, and he doesn't do that, uh, V.E. Morozov. Instead, he calls the czar a scoundrel, pulls out a gun, shoots two of the people carrying the portrait to death, um, and does get beaten so badly that he nearly dies, but he survives. <laughs> I mean, he killed two people and a and a portrait. Yeah. That's a pretty good response. He did get nearly beaten to death, though. So you know, oh, so what? Your mileage may vary. Yeah, he made it into the book. He made it. They're into all the book. dead in the story yeah. now, but he made it into the book. We do all. It probably sucked at the time, but we do all know he was a badass. Now, damn right. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, ass kickings happen. Mm-hmm. At- that just ha- that's gonna happen. Ass kicking has like, happened. Shooting two guys holding a portrait of an asshole is forever. That that literally that's that's your new mm-hmm. that's your new Mastercard uh, commercial. Yeah. Even though they haven't made those commercials in what like fifteen. It years. is it is a little dated. But you know what's not a dated ad is these ads right now. <laughs> Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Oh, yeah. We oh, yeah. are back. So those modern, those modern ads we just mm-hmm. had. Shamefully modern. So Jews were not the only racial victims of these pro-Czarist mobs. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right back from that. So fucking funny. <laughs> Holy. Yeah, that was some great. Anyway, the Jews weren't the only anyway, ones. Anyway, there here. were other races that the Czarists hated. Yeah. In North and Central Russia, I guess these aren't racial victims, but students and academics are targeted and often murdered. Like they'll, they'll beat up college kids and professors and assassinate them. The right will um, because of their connection to the townies. Yeah, yeah, kind of. It's also like a lot of the people often it'll be a case of like, yeah, some like college students who got radicalized will set off a bomb to kill these local officials. And then as a result, some like people in the town will go murder their professor. You know, shit like that's happening, too. Um, oh, fun. It's ugly. You know, it's it's kind of a civil war is going on in Russia right now. And it's very much a prelude for the civil war that will happen not all that long in the future and kill, what, four million people. Um, I mean, who yeah, there are other targets uh, in Baku. Armenians were targeted by the czarists. Uh, getting any kind of comprehensive death toll would be impossible. But during October of 1905, at least 1622 people were murdered uh, and 3,544 injured in pogroms alone. That's just deaths from these kind of like right wing masses of violence. Uh, those numbers come from police sources, though, uh, which probably undercounts the death toll. Shlomo Lambrosa, who's a scholar, calculated. It's more than 3,103 deaths just among Jews during the 1905 pogroms. 
Now, historians seem in agreement that Tsar Nicholas II did not have a concerted plan to spark pogroms. He was kind of okay with them. He did not devote a lot of effort to stopping them. But there were there were uh, for years afterwards, people would like theorize that he had orchestrated the pogroms. There really does not seem to be evidence of that that it was a central plan. But we do know that anti-Semitism was stoked purposefully by the Tsar's men, whether or not he gave the order. Um, there was this, and this is kind of found out afterwards, that in a, a corner of the St. Petersburg Police Department, there's a secret printing press, which is putting out pamphlets this entire time, urging people to, quote, kill Jews, to tear them apart into tiny pieces. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's not a not a lot of, like, wiggle room there. Yeah, there's not, not a lot of room for, yeah, for, no, for interpretation. <laughs> just, just kill yeah. them. It's fine. He's a joke. He's a joke. He's a joke. But please. Yeah. No, we are kidding. <laughs> Don't kill them, but do kill them. The guy them. printing this is a, is a gendarme officer named Kamisarov, um, and he's uh, ha, has a role in spreading the, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the protocols of the elders of Zion, too. Um, and he's like, he's funneling them using police resources from St. Petersburg through right-wing organizations who spread them around the country, and oftentimes these things will spread to an area and then there will be pogroms um so this is where like again maybe nikki wasn't explicitly aware of all this but like his dudes were doing it in the city where he was living um using his money so the idea that people suspect he had a role in directly inciting pogroms it doesn't come out of nowhere you know again we may have seen something like this relatively recently in our country yeah thankfully not with that kind of death toll, but it is kind of like the the plausible deniability of the autocrat, you know, who's like, oh, yeah, I mean, people, it's horrible when people do violent things. I don't think those violent things are wrong, but like, I'm not organizing it. They just happen. And I say it's OK, but it's also bad at the same time when anyone pushes me on it, you know, like, yeah, we've seen this. <laughs> we may have. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. That's something we've seen. So the wave of rebellions, um, you know, the, the pogroms kind of burn themselves out after enough people get the murder out of their systems and the stealing out of their systems. Um, the rebellions, the actual like kind of left wing uprisings against the state um, are put down by the military and Nikki orders exceptional brutality to be used in defense of his regime. When the St. Petersburg Workers District is stormed by Russian troops, uh, his, he has his soldiers use artillery to pound populated districts of his own capital, killing 3000 people. Um, Christ. Yeah. Um, a lot, which is like, uh, that's as many uh, minister, that's as many like government officials as the revolutionaries kill in a period of years um, in the just like the shelling of his own capital. The emperor writes in his diary, quote, the armed rebellion in Moscow has been crushed. The abscess was growing. Now it's burst. When one of his generals in the Baltics uh, is not putting down the locals with enough brutality for Nikki's liking, the Tsar sends a man to tell him, quote, the only thing you'll get in trouble for is not being brutal enough. He then immediately executes a thousand prisoners. So like he sees this guy, puts down this rebellion, and he's like, you're taking a lot of prisoners alive. Like I might get angry at you for that, but if you kill a bunch of them, there's no amount of people you could kill and piss me off. So this guy kills a thousand people. And like very rightly being like, well, the Tsar basically just said i should murder more of these folks i like that he was like given permission he's like well let's just go for the whole thing yeah then. well i guess i guess we'll try uh simon montfior writes 
When he heard that a punitive detachment had accepted the surrender of rebellious Livonians, he insisted the town should have been destroyed. Arrests were celebrated with the word power. This is Nicky writing in his own diary. While the summary execution of 26 rebellious railway ro- workers earned an imperial bravo. Bezobrazov, m- brother of Nicky's Far East advisor and one of his favorite guards officers, staged ghoulish public so- shows uh, shows of bodies dangling on gibbets. When Commander Richter, son of Alexander III's crony, now leading a punitive detachment in the Baltics, not only shot his prisoners, but hanged the bodies afterwards, Nicholas wrote another, Bravo! Tripoff informed him that Cossacks had overused their whips. Very well done, applauded Nicholas. When he heard of more executions, he commented, This really tickles me. So this is how he writes tickled. about, like, the crimes against humanity. I'm tickled by the fact that you've executed these people. Oh, well done. They whipped people to death. Bravo. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely sees that, that like, um, that disconnect when you're raised, like, the foppish yeah. child of, of privilege and, and, and power. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, brava. It is really like, if you've ever played a game like Civilization or you know age of wonders or whatever where you like build an empire and there's sometimes people rebel and you crack down on these like fake people who don't really exist he feels that same way about like the lives of thousands of real people it's like he's playing a video game he's like looking at his maps and someone's saying we put them down and we we executed a thousand of them or like how many of us would you like to kill out of these that we've captured and he makes a note of how many people he wants killed and like then he he goes home feeling like he's winning the game finally I mean, I feel like a winner. Yeah, yeah, we're all a winner getting to hear this story. So in total, the Tsar's men kill 15,000 people, um, at least, and deport 45,000 more, cracking down on the rebellion. And this time, it's enough, you know? Like, this is enough that he is able to hold on to power barely. Um, just, just, yeah. In eight just, years, things aren't going to go so well. Now, before we roll out today, Jeff, we should probably talk a little bit about Rara Rasputin, lover of the Russian queen. Hellboy villain. Hellboy villain Rasputin. Rasputin. Yeah, one of the better Hellboy villains. Um, guy I get told I look like on a not irregular basis. Um, I can see yeah, that. Yeah, well. Um, and it's one of those things. He is definitely the single most famous person today in the whole Romanov story. As a general rule, the only reason people talk about Nicholas II or his wife um, is either to talk about Anastasia or to talk about Rasputin and generally both at the same time, like in the Disney movie. Um, I don't I don't think you look like Rasputin for the record. There's 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 more love in your eyes. Thank you, Sophie. That's very sweet of you. No, this is Robert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's one of those things. Pop history is right in that this guy really is as influential as as the the popular you know depictions make him seem. He's a huge part of the regime and why a bunch of stuff happens. Um, it's also like wrong in some weird ways because he is like it always portrays him as this malevolent force, and he gives a lot of bad advice. His advice, but he also is like one of the people saying like you should probably stop being shitty to Jewish people. Um, you should probably not get into World War One now. Yeah, that's why people don't like. He's it. also a rapist. Um, like there's he's not a good person. We'll do an episode on Rasputin someday in the future. Um, but I'm genuinely surprised you haven't. Yeah, yet. Well, 
People keep telling me I look like him, and it makes me you do not um, self conscious. Thank you, Sophie. So for now, the Cliff's notes are that he was a poor kid from the east of fucking nowhere who got in trouble for like stealing some shit and sleeping around, and he gets kicked out of the town he comes from. He becomes a priest. He fucks a bunch more people, and gradually he turns into this like guru type cult figure. Um, he's kind of a cult leader. He's he's not quite what we would recognize as a cult leader because he doesn't have like this group who have a shared identity and that identity is like worshiping him. Cause like that would be too much for the czar and czarina, right? The czar is kind of his own cult. You don't get to be a cult leader. Like we know of a cult leader in Russia in this period. Um, no, cause that's the czar. He, that's his job. Yeah. But he's kind of like cult cuckolding the czar. Cause the czar is kind of his follower. It, it, it's, it's, it's an odd situation. And again, he, he follows, you know, in the footsteps of uh, Philippe, uh, who who really very very conscientiously uh, uh, seasoned the ground in front of or behind him, so that this guy would have an easier time pulling one over on the biggest rube in all of history. Um, so Rasputin, you know, as he starts to like develop this cult following, he starts he claims that he calls himself a healer, um, and he begins traveling around wealthy Saint Petersburg circles. You know, the families of the nobles and the wealthy, basically like helping a lot of times it'll be like a woman has some sort of hysteria and obviously his prescription is well you should probably fuck Rasputin you need that good yeah. dick and it works a lot of the time I guess because because he keeps keeps getting word of mouth you know that's not all he's getting of mouth yeah well it's not, yeah um, he winds up having a uh, making his first connection to the Romanov family through a Romanov named Nikolasha, who's like a cousin of the Tsar. Um, and Nikolasha is kind of competent. He's one of he's a soldier, and he's one of the few Romanovs who actually like isn't just like doing that to dress up. Like he's not a, a complete idiot when it comes to military matters. Um, he's known as the terrible for his temper. And the czar brings him in close to the family in the 1905 uprisings because he thinks he might need to appoint a dictator. Like it's going bad enough in 1905 that it's like, I might need to make my cousin the dictator so that I don't have to take the stink on me of doing some of this ugly shit. <laughs> it doesn't wind up. Th- I mean, yeah. why not have somebody with the nickname the terrible? Yeah. <laughs> be in charge hey cousin the terrible uh i got this like problem <laughs> yeah i'll solve mm-hmm. it now nikolasha again competent soldier kind of a crazy person he wanted to be a medieval knight he kept a, a court of dwarves around him i think because he read that in a medieval storybook at some point and decided it sounded cool um that's what he describes them as a, a cult of, of of or a a a court of of dwarves i think it's you know um it's it's 1906 um and for an example oh, of like, yeah i'm not i'm not judging the the word yeah, usage you should, at this point in time it, you should judge that's this a pretty next nice thing. thing to say in 1906 <laughs> because another thing he's famous for is he gets really drunk at a party once and he wants to show off his favorite sword and the way he does that is by using it to cut his pet dog in half all right well that's not i would i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that's not cool that's not good it's not that's probably worse than some questionable linguistic choices he's made. Um, Now, like most nobles in this period, he believes in what he, he described as the divine origin of czarist power. He felt God had given Nicholas II some special secret strength um, that would lead him out, that would help him lead Russia out of like its problems. So obviously he falls immediately for everything Russia's selling. This guy thinks he's a medieval knight. He's like very gullible. He buys into all this right the fuck away. Um, And this is going to be the way in which Rasputin, um, lover of the Russian queen, um, not really, but 
That's <laughs> what a lot of Russians believe at this time. Um, that's how he winds up getting into the family. And we will talk more about that and more about everything else in our conclusion to the epic saga, Nicholas II. What a dick. Jeff, <laughs> you got any pluggables to plug first? Yeah, like you mentioned before, I have a great show called Jeff Has Cool Friends, a bi-weekly interview show with all of my cool, nerdy compatriots. And uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash Jeff May for early uncensored episodes with bonus content. I also have a great monthly show called Ugh Fine with Kim Crawl, among others. Uh, you can also check me out on Tom and Jeff Watch Batman on the Gamefully Unemployed Network. Uh, we got to have you on one of those episodes, Robert. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have we I have myself watched on. a Batman or two in my time. We sure we've watched a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sure have. You can also check out You Don't Even Like Sports and Unpopular Opinion, both on the Unpops Network. And you can find me on social media at Hey There Jeff Rowe on Twitter and Instagram. Don't find me on Facebook. Don't be don't weird. Don't be weird. Don't find him on Facebook. But find That's him on TikTok. Mom. And if he's not on TikTok, deep fake him. I'm not. Should I be? I feel too old. I'm too old for TikTok. Yeah, I think everyone is. I think the 12-year-olds on TikTok are too old for TikTok. Yeah, Um, I'm too old. I'll be starting an account next week. Um, Speaking of next week, we'll be back tomorrow or Thursday, whatever, later this week with more episodes about the czar. Um, And I have a novel. You can find it and pre-order it and get a signed copy by Googling AK Press After the Revolution. Um, So go do that. Do it now. Do it now. Wait, now? Do it now. Okay, good. Thank you for doing that now, everybody. Bam! This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.